Welcome to the I Love Alt Mortgages podcast, brought to you by Home Trust. And now, your host, Brennan Trenuth. Hey, Broker Nation, it's your host, Brennan Trenuth. And today on I Love Alt Mortgages, we're looking back at some of our most popular episodes to reflect on what we've learned so far about growing a successful alternative book of business. To start this episode, we're rewinding all the way back to episode two, where we spoke to Athena Constantinou about knowing if the client is A or B, having hard conversations, and her book, Mortgage Delts. In talking about alternative lenders, what are some key factors that you look for in an alternative lender when deciding on where you're going to send that file? So I think location is probably the big one. We've got a lot of different markets. I know, for instance, you guys were really key in helping us with the Sarnia in the southwestern Ontario market where there wasn't a lot of alternate presence. And our girl out there did a presentation for you guys and you guys were willing to help out a little bit and extend, you know, instead of doing 50% loan to value, you brought up to 65, 70. So location is key. Obviously type of product, if we're, you know, in a condo in a sketchier neighborhood, you kind of know, you know, who am I taking this to or not taking this to? And then at the end, we go back to know your client. If I've got crazy ratios, I'm going to my extended ratios. If I've got something that's a little more, you know, A minus gray, I'm going to the better priced B lender. Because, you know, at the end of the day, pricing does come into play sometimes, right? And sometimes one lender has a promotion and another one doesn't. So if you just miss the A mark, I'm going to a better priced, everything else being equal. That's how I usually gauge it. Typically, when you get a file in and you start talking to the client, you know, how difficult is it for you to determine if that's going to be an A client or a B client? Like, is there some, you know, signs that say, you know what, this is going to be B client all day long, or you have to wait until you start getting in some of the documentation? No, usually from when I'm talking to them, I've been doing this way too long, you guys. (laughs) Too long. That's good because we want the listeners to understand that, you know, you have a lot of experience in this industry. You know, it will take time to understand where it's going to go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, at the beginning, we had to sit down and, you know, do the application. And now you ask, I don't know, maybe five questions. How much money are you making? Okay, great. You know, what paper am I going to get for it? And if they're like, oh, but you know, I'm a contractor. Oh, I'm self-employed. I'm not showing much. So, you know, the conversation leads you to the next question. But, you know, down payment, I've got 5%. Well, that's got to go A. And if it doesn't work A, then you're out of luck. You either need more down payment or co-signer. But if you've got 20, 25, okay, now talk to me. What are we doing with our income? This morning, I had a customer who called me. His wife works for a German company in the Ukraine. I've got a non-resident income. Okay, this could go A, this could go B. I don't know which way this is going to go yet until I run the numbers and see what is her income. So one of those is a little bit more gray. For the most part, somebody will say, well, you know, my credit is not so good. Boom, that's off to B world, right? Oh, you know, I make this much money, but I don't show that much. So there's key phrases that a client uses. As soon as you hear that, you know. You know how you've got to, you know, nurture that conversation because... Let's be honest, nobody wants a big deal. Everybody wants to pay 0% nothing and, you know, and be rock stars. But at the end of the day, you kind of position it as, look, are you going to get into your house this year or are you going to wait for two years? Prices could possibly go up. And you're losing today's price because you want to claim more money on your taxes to try and get an A mortgage. Or do we get you in now, slightly higher rate, you know, and if it's a credit issue, okay, we fix it. Like, we just, we get you to... We establish some credit. You know, we get this to become historical credit as opposed to current credit. 
So how do we gauge? Conversation just starts, and somewhere along the line, they're gonna say something that you can hook onto and, and be like, all right, this is how we're gonna move forward. How do you handle you know, that client expectation where they think that they're an A client, and then once you start hearing some of that conversation, you know that this is gonna go to the B channel? Everyone's an A client. And <laughs> how do you handle that too? Because I'm sure that there's a lot of people listening that would like to understand you know, that mentality of it, because not many people have probably heard no before, yeah. or you know, they're gonna get yelled at, maybe they haven't experienced that yet, so how do you kind of handle that? Well, it depends on why they're going B. So if it's a credit issue, it's self-explanatory. It's kind of like, okay, well, I didn't tell you not to pay your bills. It was a decision that you made, for whatever circumstance it was, and just like if you have a car accident and your insurance goes up temporarily because you got into a car accident, your rates are going to go up. You had an accident on your credit score. So that's self-explanatory. They understand, you know, make it historical. Eventually, we'll be able to move you over. It is an income piece. And the one that stings the most is probably the professionals, your medical professionals. And, you know, I'm sitting on the CIBC lady from earlier on. She's a dentist. And she's like, I've been a CIBC client my whole life. And I'm like, okay, but, you know, you're buying a $1.4 million house on the bank side. I don't know. We need two fifty in net income. You're showing $45. Like, how do we do this? Right? So you kind of explain that it's not the banks that are coming after them, that it is more government policy and it is universal across the entire industry. And when they understand that you got to pay to play somewhere, it's like, okay, fine. Let's say you did claim the 250. You do realize you're paying taxes on that money. Or, you know, just take a higher rate mortgage. You can mitigate the cost of that rate. You can go biweekly. You can put some principal repayments. So, but once you pay taxes, that money's gone out the window. And once you position it that way, they're like, oh, yeah, wait a minute, right? Because they go, okay, well, how much money do I need on the bank side? And the stress test obviously helps because like, I didn't create the stress test. The lenders didn't create the stress test. It's there and it's a reality. we got to get around it. And with the stress test, you need to show me, you know, 250 in income. How much tax? Do you want to call your accountant and see how much tax that is on that kind of money? And they're like, oh, my God, my account's set up crazy. I said, right, so let's say two and a quarter and a five year on an A and... 279 or 299 even on a one two-year term on a B plus a one percent fee still cheaper than paying the taxes yeah. right so those are the kind of only two I think that are the biggest ones anything else that's more unique like a storefront apartment those are easy because they've probably been turned down by their banks so they're a little more open to alternatives but that's why you're usually pushing these in your credit or income The second clip we have is with Elon Weintraub, who reminded us about the importance of flawlessly knowing your files and how rate is one part of the equation. Even though this episode was in 2021, we all know how applicable this conversation is today. So let's listen in. When you first started out in, you know, switching from real estate over into mortgage brokering, mm. what were some of the challenges that you faced right off the hop? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, there were two very clear challenges. One is getting clients, like just flat out. And I would estimate for, you know, 70, 80, 90 plus percent of brokers and agents, like that's going to be their number one challenge is just like getting clients, getting clients. The other challenge was, is frankly, and, you know, I've been in this industry a while and I think it's getting worse and better. And we could talk about what that means, but I think the complexity of the industry, like it's drinking from the fire hose and there's so much to know. And again, what I tell my agents and team and, you know, everyone around me is I think one of the biggest challenges with brokering is that largely your files need to be flawless. 
And when I say that, I mean, you know, there was one deposit in the down payment or there was one pay stub that didn't tie in or there was one bureau hit that you didn't notice. It will you know, eventually probably get flagged and it could cause a blow up. And that's very, very difficult. So, you know, understanding all these, I call them landmines and like literally walking across a field and like, oh, they have a rental property and it's not declared on their T1, but it was rented to their mother, but their mother, like you miss one little tiny thing. And it's a very, very complex thing. And the way I describe mortgage brokering is, I think the public perception, and I would even say 60-70% of all agents and brokers, the perception is, what's your lowest rate? What's your lowest rate? What's your lowest rate? And the way that I look at brokering is you have an architect, you have a lawyer, a solicitor, you have, you know, a CACPA, and you have a mortgage broker. And that is the business that I'm in. I'm not in the, what's your lowest rate? I'm going to tell you what to do. I know more than you. And for me, it's very important to understand the client's ultimate needs to build out that strategy. You're not an order taker. If you're just taking orders, if the client says, I need a line of credit, and you're like doing the line of credit, I actually think you're failing as a broker. And you made a good point there too about the rate, right? So we see that every single day where it's just, you know, what's the best rate? What's the best rate? Yeah. It does really come down to the overall situation that the client's in. It's really about knowing your client too. And like you said, if you miss one piece of that puzzle, you know, things could happen down the road where it starts to, you know, go a little sideways, a little chaotic. And then you're left scrambling to get documentation from the client, piece things together. And that's why for us, we really stress the fact that you need to know your client, you need to know every detail about those clients. And also rate is only part of the equation, right? It's not the end all. It's we're here to help find a solution for those clients and they're a B client, right? So they're coming to us. There's probably, you know, maybe high ratios, bruise credit, whatever the case is, there's a solution there, but we need to have those details in order to, you know, provide that solution, right? And that's why we ask so many questions up front because we want to make sure that the commitment we give to you is something that you can satisfy. Absolutely. And again, like there's so many examples of the client is, you know, what's your lowest rate? And that's not what they're trying to solve for. You know, they're trying to solve for, I want to buy another property or I want to give my kids money for their down payment or whatever it is, I need to consolidate my debt. And depending on how I'm feeling, I might say, well, my lowest rate is, you know, 1.2%, but I could actually get you $175,000 more money and do this and pay off your credit cards. And I actually spend a lot of time building charts and spreadsheets for my clients. And it's like, you know, again, I'm a big believer that you have to answer your client's question. And if you don't, you sound evasive and you sound like a salesperson. So I'm like, here is your scenario. Your lowest rate is 1.3%. Here is another option. You could go to an alternative lender like Home Trust. I'm going to pay off all your credit cards. I'm going to pay off your car loan. I'm going to put 50000 in your pocket for RSPs. You're going to lower your monthly payment. Your average interest rate the way you have it is, you know, 8.3%. The average interest rate, the way I have it is 4.2%, et cetera, et cetera. And they're like, oh, wow. Like, I never thought of it this way. I like the solution, not what's your lowest rate. It is such a trap. It is very difficult for brokers and agents to understand. You're not an order taker. And again, I use a lot of analogies and we could you know, talk about that. My team kind of pokes fun at me for that. But you don't go to your doctor and say, I want a quadruple bypass surgery tomorrow. If you say that to your physician, they're going to say, cool, like that's not 
how I do business. That's not how I operate, you know, pun intended. But the doctor will say, oh, okay, tell me more about that. Well, when I run upstairs, I feel winded. And when I wake up in the morning, I feel this. And sometimes my vision is blurry. And, you know, I actually do look a lot to physicians and how they diagnose because it's kind of funny when I go to my physician, which I don't go that often, how are you feeling? I'm fine. And then they literally go through a checklist. How are your eyes? How's your nose? How's your breathing? How's your head? How's this? And it's like, you know what? I haven't been sleeping well lately. But my initial answer is like, yeah, I'm fine. Like everything is great. And it's the same thing with mortgages. So you really need to understand your client, understand your client needs, and then sort of build out from there. Third up is Chris Barges, who strategically grew his business through social media and shared with us some beginner tips for brokers. So what are your favorite platforms right now that you know you feel does the best at promoting you and your business? For me, it's definitely Instagram. I would say that is where I've built the core of my content. I've started using LinkedIn now a little bit more. I think LinkedIn is a great resource for professional referral partners if that's what you're looking to build within your business. I've heard a lot of folks are using TikTok. I mean, you obviously see it you know, when you're online. I haven't really taken to that quite as much. I'm really just a big fan of Instagram because since it's owned by Facebook, I mean, they're constantly spending time on refining the app and introducing different features to it. So I think it's safe to say that we've gone beyond the point of you know a fad. I think that's actually here to stay. What's also really cool about Instagram, and this is probably stating the obvious, but it almost acts like a miniature website, right? I mean, people right. can you can add your contact details on there. You can uh, add link trees. You, know, you can create splash pages or landing pages for other content. You can actually turn that into kind of a little focal point where Yes, number one, you're putting out your content, but also where people can reach out to you to conduct business and actually fill out an application. So that's my favorite platform, I would say. Okay, awesome. And have you had any feedback from any of your clients or referral partners about how, you know, your social media marketing efforts played a role in their decision to choose you? I would say definitely more with referral partners. I think that Having a page that has, you know, content and informational tidbits, the feedback I've got is that it just shows that I'm passionate about what it is that I do, but also that I kind of know what I'm talking about when they see a lot of the different pieces of information out there. Again, whether you're refinancing, you're buying a rental property, you're buying your first home, different mechanics that work from an underwriting perspective. That's actually the greatest source of my content I do want to make mention of is, you know, I think about challenges and things that I've gone through in the process of getting a deal done. And I just kind of throw it out there, right? And referral partners, you know, have a really rudimentary understanding of how the back end of the mortgage process works. I'm of course referring to, you know, like real estate agents or financial advisors, right? Over the course of time, they kind of build up a high level sort of understanding. I open the door to kind of our side of the business and help people understand how the process works from start to finish, getting your mortgage funded, you know, all the different elements that go into that. There's a lot that happens behind the scenes. People really like that. And it just kind of, it's almost a mode of transparency. It's like, I'm here to educate consumers. And that's, again, one of the core value adds behind my business model. It's just information and putting that information into people's hands goes a really long way. You know, what's one tip that you would tell any agent or broker within this industry thinking about social media? Because I know that 
you know, a good portion of them do use social media. There's also a good portion that don't use social media. So do you have any sort of tips on, you know, just getting started or, you know, how to keep it rolling? Yeah, honestly, if I were to sum it up in one sentence, stop thinking and just start, (laughs) you know, do something because I'm the type of person where when I first started getting into filming videos, I was obsessed with, you know, making it perfect or or refilming if I didn't quite, you know, get the take that I wanted. I'm not the best with editing, like full disclosure. I've worked with content specialists in the past that, you know, helped pretty up my videos. I just, I curate it all, but I was so obsessed with making them perfect that it actually, you know, it took quite a bit of time for me to just to get started and make my first one until I decided to say, you know what, screw it. I'm just, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to keep filming. And eventually, you know, you start getting a reaction from people. People start following your stuff. So that's my best piece of advice is just do something. Don't remain stagnant. Stop thinking about it. Don't overthink it. Eventually, you know, you will gauge attraction from people. So how do you define service, especially when you're not meeting them, your clients, like in person? So you need to get clients to understand why they've chosen you to begin with. The question I get asked all the time is why would I use you as a mortgage broker as opposed to going to my bank directly? And without going too deep into that, you know, that question, because there's a lot there. um, One of the components of that is service. So, you know, a banker or financial advisor is working nine to five. That's what they're paid for. Sometimes you have to make yourself available beyond that time. You know, whether it's a client you're dealing with or a referral partner, you know, when you're in such a crazy market the way we are right now, when there's multiple bids on a property, you kind of have to be by your phone or your computer, you know, at the ready so that you can help facilitate that process and make sure someone actually lands, you know, a property. Otherwise, people might be spinning their wheels if they don't have access to you. Mm-hmm. That was one thing. It's being willing to work after hours and on weekends. Obviously, you know, don't be a slave to your career, but, you know, that's not what I'm suggesting here. But just be available beyond, you know, someone's bank, be better than the bank. The other piece to that is communication. You know, again, whenever someone reaches out to you, they have a question, whether they're a first time buyer or otherwise, someone that doesn't really understand the process, you got to be willing to educate, be willing to open yourself up to people and make sure that you get back to people quickly. Even if you can't respond to something immediately, let someone know that you got their message and that you will be back to them shortly. People just want to be acknowledged and know that you're there to help them, right? And I found that that went a long way from a service perspective. Next is Ron Butler, a veteran in the industry who spoke to us about the importance of alternative and how important it is to his business and his predictions for the B space. So early on, what were some of your biggest challenges and what do you think some of your biggest challenges are today? Well, like everything else in business, that is a business with employees and with advertising, with overheads, with large overheads, everything is about budgeting and executing successfully. No different than home trust. You have to have enough underwriters, enough document reviewers. You have to have enough staff people to make sure you can handle the volume of business you want to accomplish. You have to do it within a budget. I mean, it's no different than any business. The essence of all ongoing problems, you know, are human resource problems. I mean, it's about having the right people in the right jobs and them doing a good job and being happy to continue to do a good job and how to pay them appropriately and how to compensate them properly and how to give them the tools to execute their work. I mean, other companies think they can automate the mortgage business in the end because it's a transaction that people only do once every 
three, five, or seven years, they want to talk to someone. They want to talk to someone. They want to feel that there's a human being on another end who's paying close attention to this $600,000 transaction. And you can't automate your way out of that. Every problem that everyone in our business has is a human resource problem at the end. And you have yeah. to do the best job you can. Why is alternative business so important to your overall business? We fight for rate on the A side. Like People will argue about one basis point of rate on the A side. If you're somebody who's eligible to go to any bank, like you're such a high quality borrower that you could go everywhere. You're an 860 FICO score. You're a massive income, easily proven income, salaried income. You've got huge down payment because you're selling a house, buying a house. Like you're literally the perfect borrower that every bank in Canada, every lender would like to work with. Those folks can argue about one beep, two beeps. I mean, it's a fanatical approach that has to be taken. But here's the beep business is not that. As soon as you are someone who no bank wants, like, you know, you've been turned down by two banks, all right, then it becomes a different approach. And what becomes the most important thing, rate becomes fairly meaningless, although we like to get people the best deal we can. Even from B-landers, we like to get the best deal we can. But by far, the most important thing is if we receive an offer, first of all, will we get an offer? First of all, will the B-lender say yes? Which we work with others. We don't just exclusively work with home trust, but will the B lenders say yes? So that becomes a very crucial issue because yes is what the client's looking for. Yes from the lender becomes the most important thing. And we get a lot of yeses from home trust. Now, at that point, the really important thing is for a B lending deal, for an alternative lending deal, and everybody likes to use the word alternative now. Nobody wants to be a B person, right? I mean, everybody, what, I'm a B person? Oh, Jesus, I think I'm an A, really, or maybe an A minus. Uh, I don't like to be a B. Okay, we'll call you alternative. Okay. Oh, alternative. I don't know about that either. Uh, oh, no, just you have to pick, pick it. Be your alternative. Take your pick. But the most important thing after a lender saying yes is, will the mortgage Fund. Do you have any predictions for the evolution of the B space and where the alternative market's going to go? Like, do you think about your own crystal ball? Well, my crystal ball is notoriously bad. I have been predicting price decline in the housing market for about 12 straight years. So uh, that makes me literally the wrongest guy on earth. Like, nobody has been as wrong for long as I have. My eldest son points that out to me constantly. The reality is the B market has surged, the alternative market has surged, particularly the last several years. Private lending is way up. There's new products in private lending. Some of them good. Some of them scare the bejesus out of me. Stuff that I just don't understand. And there's really very little doubt that we're going to see ongoing growth in this area of alternative lending of all types in the near term. It's going to happen. Because when prices go up 26% in a year, you can make a lot of mistakes in alternative lending. And you're covered. You're absolutely covered, and you can grow, and success breeds success. I mean, Sebastian, you and I both know there's U.S. companies interested in coming into the alternative space in Canada. Again, they were here once in 2005 and 2006, all disappeared one night in 2008, but there was like six companies shut down. They were open on Monday, closed on Tuesday. I mean, that happened in 2008, but we're seeing them come back. We're seeing proposals for all kinds of very interesting fintech products coming around. Do they all work? I don't know. Do they have long-term ability to sustain power? I don't know. 
But the alternative space isn't going away in Canada. For one thing, we imported 421,000 new Canadians in 2021. We're going to import another 430,000 new Canadians this year in 2022. We need them badly. This country is well served by our immigration policy. So if we've got that, if we've got these 420,000, 435,000, we've got these people coming in every year, they tend to have an enormous desire to own a home. And that means that people who supply liquidity, like Home Trust and other alternative lenders, that's going to be a solid space. Because a lot of those people start as self-employed people or people working in a gig economy or people working in multiple part-time jobs. And they need a lender like Home Trust to get them in the door of their first home in some cases. And I don't think that's going to change in any way. So the future of the space is solid. And I think my only prediction is that Home Trust and other institutional alternative lenders may find themselves growing in importance if there's any kind of disruption in the Canadian real estate market that will have repercussions with private lending. So right now, private lending is pretty popular, pretty easy to do, and very available. But if times change, and I have seen them change because, again, I am as old as Methuselah, that if those times change, those private lenders vanish, or all they do is 50% loan to value. And we come to really depend on the institutional lenders like Home Trust who have actual capital real money, billions of dollars of actual cash, who can go out and continue to support the marketplace. Prediction is right for institutional alternative lending. Last but not least, we have John Burke, who spoke about customer service and why trust is the key to his business. Your Google rating, so right now you're up to 200 reviews and a 5.0 stars. So it's clear that customer service is extremely important to you. So what defines good customer service to you? I think it really just boils down to going above and beyond what's expected, right? I mean, a lot of people, again, they'll say, you know, I give good service, I call clients back, but I'm always asking the team in any situation that you're in, what could you have done more or what could you have done differently? Because a lot of people, you know, will make excuses for things and say, oh, that was out of my control. I couldn't do anything about that. But I even give the example to my staff, like, could you have, as an example, drove to their house and picked up documents if they don't know how to scan it? We obviously don't go to those extremes, yeah. We've done it, but, you know, really thinking about what you can do and what you can control to give that client a better experience. And then, like I say, just making sure that it's ingrained in the culture, making sure that it's something that we're constantly talking about. You know, we track reviews and those five stars just as much as we do revenue. So from a company perspective, it's really, really obsessed over and not just that, but our staff are also well aware. So, you know, if the team knows at the end of this application, you're going to have to ask this client for a review. This little bit of an accountability piece, you know, that staff member also is aware of that. So they're going to make sure that they're doing everything in their power to deliver that service to that person. And obviously you're dealing with clients that come from, you know, all walks of life. You know, there's prime clients, alternative clients, maybe private clients. Do you have a different approach when working with these types of different clients or is it kind of all the same? To be honest, I think our approach in general is a little bit different than most brokerages. Like we really, really take the time to really understand our clients' needs and not just surface level. Like, you know, somebody might apply for a refinance, but, you know, if we want to understand, you know, if they're paying debt, why are they paying debt? You know, what are their motivators? What are their stressors? How much are they paying per month? 
So really digging into those kind of goal questions with each person. I think I got a little bit of that from the fitness industry when I was working in it. Yeah. And from there, you know, we're able to utilize that, right? But as far as our process between prime clients and alternative clients, we try to maintain the same process no matter what. I think when you have a fine, consistent process, not only does it make the experience better for the client because, you know, we're not scrambling to figure out what to do next. I think it also makes it a lot easier for staff because there's not a bunch of, you know, questions, who does this, who does that? It allows them to follow a consistent process every single time and deliver a consistent experience for each person. So how do you go about, you know, training your agents for, you know, soft skills, like building trust with, you know, the end client at the end of the day, right? Like obviously this industry is very fast paced, clients are coming to you with, you know, big financial decisions and they want to be able to trust your agents, right? So how do you kind of build on that? I think first and foremost, it's about understanding how trust is built. You know, we teach our agents that building trust comes from, first of all, asking the right questions, but showing and demonstrating to the client that you're really listening to the answers and what they're actually saying. You know, it's like rapport. And I think trust and rapport kind of go hand in hand, right? I think there's a big misconception that rapport is like, you know, liking the same hockey team or, you know, both fishing. A lot of it comes from somebody feeling like they've been listened to. So I think that's what it is, is that if you can ask the right questions because you have the right structure or kind of system in place to ask those questions, be able to connect with that person, inherently they're going to trust you more because they feel listened to. And then a lot of that as well comes with product knowledge, as you just mentioned. And then finally, just following through on what you actually say you're going to do. One of the biggest things we always preach to people is, you know, if you say you're going to do something, actually do it. It could be something as small as sending someone a text message at five o'clock that you promised, because as soon as you start to slip up on those little things, you start to deteriorate trust. So we really want to emphasize that to a lot of the people we work with. So it's not only about teaching people how to earn trust, but also not, you know, how to lose it as well. So my question now to you is what role can lenders play in the education process? So good question. You know, a lot of it, I think, comes down to how they present and how they have discussions with the people that they're dealing with. You know, a lot of the lender presentations that I've seen or seen in the past are just kind of, you know, spitting everything that they offer, right? It's not, in my opinion, the best way to try to assist a brokerage is just to spit a bunch of rates at them and these are our products we offer and see you later. I think the real value added from lenders comes from when they help you and help the agents to understand you know, what actually is involved in underwriting, helping them understand how they can, you know, potentially, you know, maybe add a guarantor or do, you know, certain rental offsets to help them actually get their files qualified. So, you know, to me, the best thing a lender can do is have a strong BDM who can actually sit down with an agent or get an agent on the phone and talk a file through with them and actually coach them in terms of like, this is how you can potentially get this file approved. So that's where I feel like the biggest value is added. And that's something that Massimo does a great job with and with our team is that, You know, he's always taking the time to try to listen to what the story is and try to make suggestions in terms of how that fits. So from a lender, it's about, I think, being able to kind of play a coaching role and be able to coach individuals on how to be more efficient at underwriting and obviously to in turn fit in the product guidelines and what we're trying to accomplish. That's our show for today. I wanted to take this opportunity to thank you all for your support as we continue this podcast journey. We appreciate all of our guests who have come on so far and hope that our listeners, you know, see this podcast as a useful resource to help grow your business. See you next time on I Love All Mortgages. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.